coming up on Garden Talk. I typically lean more towards liquid cultures just because I can store them in my fridge for quite a bit of time in slants or even just in a, in a jar. Popcorn is one of my favorite go-tos just because of availability. It's very, very easy to find some organic popcorn and uh, you can boil that up and sterilize it. That is a really important factor. You want to make sure that you're just using enough to saturate and mix between the grains, but not actually create puddles anywhere. If you see any green, I would just ditch the jar. Don't even open it. Ditch your bag, whatever it is, as it spreads very aggressively. Don't get disheartened. You're going to see a lot of contamination. But once you actually get to the mushrooms, it makes it all worthwhile. And you get some awesome food and some just some nutrient-dense goodness. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, a.k.a. Mr. Grow It and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This episode number 75. In this episode, I interview Corey from HTG Supply. He has many years experience growing gourmet mushrooms, and that's what we're gonna get into today. There's definitely a more beginner-friendly episode talking about the steps to grow mushrooms, from the equipment all the way through harvest. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast through Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. Thanks to Mars Hydro for sponsoring this episode. They recently launched new all-in-one grow kits. They have a new 3x3 kit and 4x4 kit under their regular grow kits. Then they also have new thermostat control kits for 2x2, 2x4, and 4x4. All kits come with a grow tent, grow light, ventilation system, a timer, trellis net, grow bags, and a thermometer hygrometer. Check out their website at mars-hydro.com. They'll have sales on these kits every now and then. And you can use the discount code MrGrowIt for a discount on any of their products. Gorilla Grow Tent. Check out their carbon filters to help get clean, contaminant-free air. The filters remove odor, pathogens, disease-causing spores, contaminants, dust, and bacteria from the air. They use a two inch thick layer of coconut carbon, which is the most eco-friendly and sustainable source of carbon. It has a significantly higher density of micropores compared to other forms of activated carbon. This results in it being 50% more effective at absorbing odors and contaminants. Go to the website growstrongindustries.com and use discount code MrGrowIt for 15% off. AC Infinity is sponsoring this episode. They have two different series LED grow lights, the Ion Board and the Ion Grid. The Ion Board fixtures are board style and use Samsung LM301B diodes, while the Ion Grid series has an open center design and uses Samsung LM301H diodes. I'll have a link in the description section below so you can learn more about these grow lights and you can use discount code MrGrowIt if you're buying off their website, acinfinity.com that discount code works for all AC Infinity items, or discount code MrGrowIt15 if you're buying off Amazon. And we're back. Welcome to the Garden Talk Podcast. Today I am joined with Corey from HTG Supply. How you doing today? Pretty good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for asking. Today we're going to talk all about how to grow gourmet mushrooms. So 
lion's mane, shiitake, oyster, reishi, portobello, turkey tail, the list goes on. There's lots of medicinal value when it comes to mushrooms. So I figured it'd be a great to have somebody on the podcast today that has many years experience cultivating them. So we're going to talk about how to cultivate mushrooms. So really excited for this one. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into gardening? Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, so Pretty much since I was just a young kid, uh, my family members, my mom and grandma, have always had a pretty big plot garden. Uh, raised in the Midwest, where just about everybody is related to a farmer in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and it's very therapeutic for me, uh, just quieting down in the garden and, and, and focusing. So uh, all that being able to tie into a hobby that I could feed myself, uh, it was just bound to be as like I was made for it. And then when did mushrooms come in? Like how long have you been cultivating them and what made you get into them? Uh, specifically about seven years ago, um, I was at a restaurant and I pretty much really didn't like mushrooms that much at the time. Uh, and I had a really awesome uh, mushroom dish and it was mostly oysters. There was also some shiitake uh, diced into it, uh, but it was just really, really good. And it uh, blew my mind because I thought I hated mushrooms. And then once I, you know, dive deeper in and seen how many different mushroom options there were, I realized I was just eating gross mushrooms <laughs> rather than having really good quality ones. Uh, then, you know, realized that it was a plant and it was, you know, essentially something that you could grow yourself. And uh, so then I went ahead and learned how to grow it. Awesome. And then what type of mushrooms have you cultivated in the past? And what are some of your favorite mushrooms to cultivate? I've done pretty much uh, oysters, piopinis, lion's mane, shiitakes, uh, chestnuts, trumpets. Uh, right now, my favorite is the black pearl king oyster. It's a hybrid trumpet oyster. Uh, it's really, really good. Uh, it gets really thick and meaty, and uh, you're able to really do a lot of uh, meat, uh, like mock meat dishes with it. It's, it's really, really good. Nice, nice. Now, I know there are several different ways to cultivate mushrooms. It really depends on the type that you are looking to cultivate. There are different tools and equipment that you need to grow mushrooms. What are some of the tools and equipment that are needed? Talk about container, substrate, light, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's pretty uh, straightforward. You'll need somewhere to create spawn in, uh, i.e. like a bag or a jar or something like that. Uh, and then you'll also need a pressure cooker. That would be pretty important. That's for your sterilization and uh, pasteurization. Uh, then you're also going to need somewhere to actually grow the mushrooms in, like a fruiting chamber or a Martha tent or even uh, a mono tub. There's a lot of different ways you can uh, grow mushrooms. I have quite a few customers here at my hydroponics store that use entire 4x4 or 10x10 grow tents uh, to turn into a giant fruiting chamber. Um, then past that, uh, you'll need, you know, a lot, a lot of isopropyl alcohol. Uh, that's probably the thing you're going to go through the most. Uh, sterilization is key when growing mushrooms. Um, very small LED light or a T5 fluorescent, or, uh, at a minimum, even, uh, like a small rope light. Uh, those work out really well. Um, and then you're going to need your substrate itself. Uh, I typically like to roll towards master's mix. Uh, the Master's Mix is a 50-50 blend of uh, soy, hull, and uh, oak. So they take uh, pellets of the compressed oak and uh, pellets of the soy hull and uh, mix it at a 50-50 rate. And that's really what the mushrooms, uh, these gourmet mushrooms really want, is a heavy 
uh, wood latent substrate. Gotcha. And then you can either start with spore syringes or liquid cultures. Can you talk to us about the differences between those two? Maybe talk about like the pros and cons to each of them? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so they both have really good value in mycology. Uh, typically, your commercial uh, spore syringes will be a little more broad uh, spectrum of uh, spores inside of them, meaning that it's going to be more than just one uh, fruiting body or mushroom cap that the spores came from, meaning your gene pool will be very wide in phenotypic expression. Uh, you'll get you know big ones, small ones, short, fat ones. You'll get all these different sizes. Whereas typically with a liquid culture, it's uh, done from a specific mushroom, if, it's, if that's how I like to do it. You can get multi-spored liquid cultures. Uh, they just tend to not grow as well than a single-strain a single liquid culture. Uh, liquid culture is definitely a lot faster because you're essentially starting with a liquid-suspended mycelium rather than the spores which if you think of the spores uh, more like a seed uh, in layman's terms, uh, that's what's going to grow the mycelium, and the mycelium would be considered like the roots of the mushroom. So it's you're running with already pre-germinated uh, roots, essentially, uh, versus starting from spore, which you have to germinate uh, and create that mycelium. So you just get a lot uh, faster colonization rate uh, and typically a lot less contamination because uh, those spores, uh, commercial spore syringes coming from multiple mushrooms, there's a lot more chance for contaminants to be uh, inside those spore syringes. Um, yeah, both are really, really good. Um, I tip, typically lean to uh, more towards uh, uh, liquid cultures just because they I can store them in my fridge for quite a bit of time uh, in slants or even just in a, in a jar. Uh, they really, really work well for uh, having a lot of... Uh, mushroom seed on hand, so to speak, and kind of keep them in my fridge, uh, a couple different strains in there at different times, and I can kind of rotate in and out. Uh, it's uh, pretty cool when you have the liquid cultures, whereas the spore syringes, uh, think of it as just like spores in water. Uh, if you leave them in there too long, they can germinate inside the syringe, and uh, if there was a contaminant in there, uh, those contaminants are going to grow inside your spore syringe. Um, yeah, uh, most most cultivators though tend to tend to lean towards the uh, liquid cultures for sure. I actually have one grow under my belt. I ended up buying a kit, so it has a kit with all the tools and equipment in it. And uh, from my understanding, they sell the spores separately. Uh, so most of the time, you have to find a source for the spores. I actually started with the spore syringe. I've never done liquid culture before, so just the spore syringe. And then the kit together, and I was able to have everything I needed in order to to complete a grow. First thing I remember having to do is like they had had the spore syringe, and then it was the inoculation. So I had a it was a mason jar, and it came with corn kernels in it, and and it was sealed up top, and there was a way for you to stick the syringe in through the top, and then inoculate those corn kernels. What do you typically inoculate the spores into? Uh, I actually, popcorn is one of my favorite go-tos just because of availability. It's very, very easy to find some organic uh, popcorn, and uh, you can boil that up and sterilize it and uh, use that. Another really common one is uh, rye grain berries. Uh, another one, uh, a couple of my friends like to just use oats. 
just just plain uh, oats. Uh, millet's another really popular one. Uh, really, all depends on preference, I find, uh, and your technique. Uh, if you if you don't have a pressure cooker, uh, you might only be able to use uh, millet or something like that, uh, just because uh, the smaller seeds you don't have to get as hot to to, to sterilize. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. A couple different uh, grain options, but just about any grain will work. If it has starch inside of it, it's, it's a really good option. And I would say availability would, would determine which one you want to use. But uh, just about anyone can go to the store and pick up some popcorn, and uh, it actually works pretty well. All right. And then I remember putting, I think I put like three milliliters within that container size. It, was, it had to have been like a quart size mason jar that was like probably halfway full of the kernels put like three milliliters in there is that pretty standard for all types of mushrooms or does it really depend on the the type the variety of mushroom for how much spores you want to put in there so i would say it's more relative to how much spawn you have inside the container so if you had like a a three pound bag you know of spawn you would need anywhere from five to even eight mils or cc's of that uh, spore syringe into it. But these smaller containers, you can definitely do, you know, one cc, three cc's. Uh, but what you run into uh, with, uh, with that could be an issue where you're using too much of these uh, uh, spore syringe and actually put too much moisture into the jar. Uh, so that is a really important factor. You want to make sure that you're just using a enough to uh, saturate and mix between the grains, but not actually create puddles anywhere. That's good advice there. And then, like I mentioned, I don't have any experience with the liquid cultures. How would you go about like the inoculation process with the, the liquid cultures? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways you can do it. My, my go-to way is just good old caro syrup, uh, just like corn syrup. Uh, the unflavored is the best. Uh, lately, I've only been able to find like vanilla-flavored uh, definitely try to get unflavored corn syrup uh, or any uh, carbohydrate will do well. You know, you could use molasses if you wanted. Uh, some people will use cane sugar, coconut sugar, uh, co- uh, coconut water. Uh, but I do prefer just water and uh, some uh, caro syrup. Uh, and then uh, what you do is you'll uh, cook that up to uh, sterilization temperatures uh, for about 15 minutes in your pressure cooker, about 15 PSI. Um then once that's been sterilized, you can then let it cool down to room temperature, and then you will inoculate your uh, spore syringe or your liquid culture uh, into the the broth that you've made. Uh, and then ideally, you'll want to put it on like a magnetic stirrer with a little stirring uh, device inside the jar. But at a minimum, you can just hand stir it maybe once or twice a day. Uh, and then after about 10, 10 to about 20 days, depending on the temperature of the water, uh, you'll start to see that mycelium grow in the jar, uh, and then you can literally just pull it up with a syringe and inoculate whatever you like with it. Okay, and then after you've done the inoculation process into your grain or, or whatever you're using, what conditions should that be in? You know, is there a certain temperature that yeah. that should sit in in order for growth to occur? Yeah, definitely. Your inoculation temperature is going to be roughly anywhere from about 75, 74, all the way up to about 82 degrees. Uh, Warmer, the faster, but also uh, some contaminants do grow at warmer temperatures. Uh, So I find that uh, a little bit lower into the 78, uh, 77 range is is really fine for me. 
uh, and it really gives me a pretty aggressive mycelium growth. Uh, but uh, you'll go, you know, into uh, from your uh, jar, let's say, like you had in your kit. Once that's been fully inoculated and uh, colonized, and you see a lot of clean white mycelium in there, uh, then you would dump that grain out uh, in, a, in a sterilized environment. Uh, I, ideally, like a, in front of a laminar flow hood, uh, or uh, at a minimum, like an upside-down glove box, uh, which is just a box that you take. You cut some holes in the side of it so you can reach your arms inside of it, and it gives you still air. And that still air will make it so you're not getting a whole lot of contaminants, and you can spray a lot of uh, alcohol in there before you open up your jar, and then you'll pour that into your substrate bag. Uh, or your substrate tub or whatever you're growing in. Here, your vessel you're going to fruit in. Yeah, I used a grow tent and kind of used that as the place to sterilize. So I had a little table within a grow tent and like used Lysol and wiped everything around with isopropyl alcohol and just tried to sterilize it. It's really important because it can go bad, right? You can have, uh, you can completely ruin everything if you don't sterilize. And, And so that's Super, super important. I think I aimed for about 78 degrees Fahrenheit was what I was aiming for, and I got some good growth. And uh, in the quart mason jar, it was about ha- I think it was about halfway full of the kernels. I think it took like 60 days maybe oh, or wow. something like that to fully inoculate. So what's the time frame? I mean, I'm sure it's dependent on a few different things, but like how long should it take to like fully inoculate? Yeah, so depending on what type of mushroom it is is definitely going to greatly affect the uh, inoculate or the colonization speed. But typically, most gourmet mushrooms are going to be anywhere from about 10 to about 30 days. And all those streams are going to fall right inside of there. Uh, Some of uh, uh, other mushrooms might take uh, anywhere from about 14 to 7 days uh, for full colonization, depending on grain as well. Uh, Like the popcorn we were talking about. Uh, one of its caveats is it tends to colonize a little bit slower just because it has a harder outer shell and its surface area is a little bit greater uh, versus like your millet, which very, very small seed, kind of like bird seed. If, you, if you've ever had a bird before, it's the really, really small seed in that seed mix. Uh, and that seed being very small uh, will be taken over by that mycelium very quick and it'll penetrate into the seed and consume it. All right, and then after they have inoculated, what should they look out for, like, each day? You know, what are there signs of, of good growth happening, and what signs of bad growth happening? Yeah, so uh, you'll see the, the mycelium uh, start growing, and from wherever it does grow, it almost seems like it's a random point in the jar that'll start growing. But from there, it'll kind of nucleate outwards from these points. You'll have... You know, multiple points inside the jar, which will have this spherical or cylindrical growth rate away from it. Uh, and you want to see a nice run of that mycelium daily. You'll, you might Some mycelium you might see inches, some you might see centimeters. Uh, but what you want to see is that even growth rate and it's stretching and consuming those grains. And what you want to look out for is contaminants. Uh, anything that is in a really nice, white, healthy, uh, clean-looking mycelium. Uh, is going to be considered a contaminant unless it's a metabolite. Uh, Metabolites are kind of an amber-brownish liquid. Uh, Consider those guys like uh, waste of the mycelium. Uh, It's going to be, in layman's terms, mushroom poop and pee. uh, It consumes uh, the food source and uh, releases that uh, that exudate of metabolite and uh, 
it's actually uh, antiseptic, I believe. Uh, so it's uh, pretty sterile itself in nature. Um, but uh, the contaminants that you're going to want to look for are mostly trichoderma, uh, either that or cobweb mold. Uh, trichoderma is going to be a very, very green mold. Also, uh, parts of it can be gray and even white, uh, but green is really the main thing you're going to want to look out for. If you see any green, uh, I would just ditch the jar, don't even open it, ditch your bag, whatever it is, as it spreads very aggressively and it can sporulate inside your grow space and be very hard to get out. But yeah, just daily looking for those uh, small growths in mycelium and checking for contaminants uh, and patience. <laughs> What about blue mold? Is that a thing? Uh, blue mold? Like growing on the mycelium itself or on the actual food? Yeah, I mean, you see that often, like, with a compost, for example, if you're composting, and there's, like, a blue type of mold that occurs. Does that, that ever happen in the, on the mushroom side of things when you grow on mushrooms or now? There, there's hundreds of blue molds, but a lot of uh, blue is typically uh, bruising of a particular type of mycelium. Uh, usually active mushrooms will have a bluish hue. There are a lot of other mushrooms that have the same bluish uh, bruising to it, uh, but the most common ones are active uh, uh, mushrooms. There are definitely blue molds, not super common inside grains, though. You'll see more green uh, molds, pink molds. Uh, you'll also see uh, very, very common is bacillus uh, or, or wet spot is what it's considered in the mycelium world. Uh, and that looks very, very like brown and slimy. Uh, just looks very gross. Uh, almost like snot and brown is growing on your, uh, your grains there. And once that happens, that's another, you know, I'd consider that just toss it out. Uh, one thing with, with mushroom growing and mycology, if you're getting into it, don't be disheartened by failure or contamination. I wouldn't even consider contamination a failure. I would consider that a learning point. You know, most contamination can be tracked back to poor technique. Uh, and what I mean by that is like your sterilization process or how much did you use ISO? Did you clean your tools in between transfers? Uh, did you make sure your room was sterilized? Or even worse, was the culture you were using contaminated from the beginning? Uh, so there's going to be quite a few failures and uh, complete loss. I've, I've lost whole uh, grow tents just full of uh, gourmet mushrooms uh, due to quite a few different things. And it just happens, happens to everyone. Uh, so don't get disheartened. You're going to see a lot of contamination. But once you actually get to the mushrooms, it makes it all worthwhile. And you get some awesome food and some uh, just some nutrient dense goodness. That makes sense. So let's say the person is successful, right? And they've, they've fully inoculated their jar or, or their grain is fully inoculated. They're ready to change over to the substrate. What do you use for a substrate? Uh, I particularly like to use Master's Mix for the gourmet mushrooms, uh, which is that 50-50 blend of the oak and soy hull pellets. Uh, but a lot of uh, saprophilic mushrooms, which are mushrooms that uh, eat decaying waste and matter, uh, and those types of mushrooms really like to grow on uh, a multitude of different substrates. Most common vermiculite and coconut uh, uh, coir mixed together with some sort of manure or even a worm casting. Uh, but for the gourmet mushrooms, 
Uh, it is most common uh, a oat or a hole of some kind with a heavy amount of wood. And there's lots of different blends, but I particularly like the Master's Mix from Mushroom Media Online. Uh, really, really awesome stuff. I'm actually working on getting it in my store. Uh, but you can take a couple scoops to the desired amount of uh, weight you want to have and add X amount of water, uh, and you have all the substrate you need. Pretty cool stuff. Nice. I'll have to check out that blend. Sounds like a good one. Oh, yeah. The one that I used, uh, I have it right here. It's a two-pound bag, pasteurized. It was dehydrated elephant and horse manure, vermiculite, and gypsum. Does that sound like a pretty decent substrate? Is there anything that worthy of calling out there that would maybe be a pro or a con? Not necessarily. That all seems pretty all right, other than it being elephant. Uh, I'm sure that's a great you know dung source. Uh, I would only consider like its availability. I think it might be a little hard to get <laughs> elephant poop on the regular, unless you live by a zoo uh, and the zoo you know was willing to give it away. Then definitely go for that stuff. Uh, but with any poop or manure or dung, you want to make sure that it's properly composted and aged. Because uh, with a lot of comp or a lot of dung and manure, if it isn't properly composted and aged, uh, it can pass on salmonella, uh, quite a few other foodborne illnesses. Uh, so you want to really make sure that you're getting manure from a farmer who knows what he's doing and has aged his product properly. And contaminants will come too. So <laughs> good to know. Yeah, that's really good to know. Okay, so at what point do you actually transfer what you've inoculated to the substrate and how do you do it? And feel free to break it down in details, you know what I mean? Even uh, down to the nitty-gritty details of putting on the gloves to make sure yeah. that uh, you know everything's clean and sterile and all that stuff. Okay, well, I'll start by saying uh, I'll get the repetitive part out. Just in between every step, insert the step where you spray down all the surfaces, your hands, your tools, and everything uh, with isopropyl alcohol. Unless you are using a alcohol flame for needle sterilization, uh, then you do not want to be spraying alcohol because <laughs> then it's flammable and uh, that will that won't turn out well. But insert alcohol sprays everywhere, but you'll definitely want to glove up. Uh, glove box if you don't have a laminar flow hood. Uh, and we'll just go with the glove box option because not everybody has a laminar flow hood. They're, they're pretty big and pricey and, and bulky, but just about everyone can make a glove box. So you're going to take the top of your glove box off and you're going to put all of your work inside of it. Uh, and then you're going to close your glove box. And by work, I mean all of your Petri dishes or spore syringes or your bags or tubs or whatever you're working on inside this clean space. Spray with alcohol. You might have forgot already. Um, then we're going to uh, open our mycelium or our spawn or whatever we're using uh, inside the sterile environment and dump it into the substrate mix. Now your substrate mix might be in a big tub, it might be in a box, uh, it might be in a small bag. Uh, mix it up inside of there. You can get very large glove boxes, like I think they're about like 32 or so gallons, the big Rubbermaid totes with, they're all clear plastic. I'd recommend the largest one you can find, that way you have a very large workspace and you're not confined to this little shoebox. Um, but yeah, uh, sterilize, sterilize, sterilize. And then you're going to actually pull that mycelium out and place it into your substrate, break it up really fine and mix it thoroughly into it. Uh, and then you're going to cover your inoculated substrate uh, from the light. 
and you're also going to want to seal the CO2 in. So if you have any uh, breathing ports on the side of your monotub or uh, a filter patch on the side of your mushroom bag, there's a certain way you can fold that patch over so it's not just dumping out all the CO2. And then the monotubs, you can just put tape on your uh, side holes on the monotub there uh, to trap that CO2 in. And then you're going to let it sit for about 10 to about 30 days for that substrate to fully colonize, uh, just like our little jar did. It'll completely turn nice and white like a big old brick. And then once we get to there, uh, we can start going into our fruiting uh, initiation. You mentioned clear tub. Now, I actually use a clear tub as well. It's like a, I want to say it's probably maybe 18 inches long by maybe about 10 inches wide. So it's height, maybe uh, maybe a foot tall, right? It's a real small tub. It's, you know, I'm just going personally for myself. But um, one thing that I was advised was to use like, I have like a clear, like a black plastic liner that, you know, you sterilize and then put in there. And that helps with, uh, helps reduce, <laughs> I'm terrible with the terminology. I don't know if it's called pinning or something like that, but basically yeah. these, it'll start to fruit underneath the whole substrate kind of come out the sides and just not like fruit naturally out from the top. Do you recommend uh, doing something like that? Or, I mean, you mentioned clear containers, black container. Would that prevent that from happening? Uh, yeah. So if you went ahead and like, let's say that coat you have where you normally put your, t- uh, your plastic, if you went and painted that same length black or even covered it with black tape, that would effectively do the same thing. But I actually prefer that plastic bag a little bit better uh, because you'll sometimes get separation from your mycelium block off of the side of the plastic wall and the bag will actually grab that mycelium block and really help with moisture retention uh, and prevent that side pinning you're talking about where you got those pesky little mushrooms on the side that you just can't get to or it's a pain to get to them and they just they're just not aesthetically pleasing. Okay, that's good. Good tips there. So you mentioned it's going to take, you know, roughly 10 days, maybe even longer for that substrate to be kind of completely inoculated, right? It's going to turn out to be this white brick. When do you introduce light? You know, what light should be added and when should you add it? So uh, you really don't need any light until you're ready to fruit the mycelium uh, block or brick. Uh, And that light really, you don't need a whole lot of it. A lot of misconception about lights and mushrooms is that you need this big old powerful light when you really all you need is enough light to direct the mushrooms which way to grow you know if you had a a 150 watt led light versus you know a 50 watt t5 led light you're not going to grow more mushrooms with the bigger light Uh, the the smaller light will do just fine and almost the same exact job so I tend to go with the really low dose, low end of the spectrum with your lights. Uh, literally a desk lamp, if that's all you have, you can utilize that and that'll be more than enough. Um, rope lights are pretty efficient as well at that. Um, but don't need a whole lot of light. And then it's going to be a 12 hour cycle, very similar to most fruiting and flowering plants. Uh, and that will uh, that mixed with uh, fresh air exchange uh, which is going to be your CO2 and fresh air transfer from your actual fruiting chamber. Uh, that, with the 12-hour light cycle, will initiate your uh, fruiting uh, fruiting conditions. Okay, so for the first two weeks or so, you are going to be under no light at all. And then, once you add the light, 
12 hour light cycle, that's when it's going to start to fruit. And you said there should be exchange happening. Could you talk a little bit more in detail about the actual exchange that happens as far as air, the CO2? Yeah, so you want to have a fresh air exchange. And, and what that means is you want to expel the CO2 out of the grow chamber or the fruiting chamber or wherever you're fruiting at. Uh, because the mycelium will continually make and produce CO2. And if there's too much CO2 prevalent, you'll get really tall and leggy and stretchy uh, mushrooms that sometimes can't even stand up on their own. And they just look really misshapen. And it's hard to get a nice, good, even canopy flush of mushrooms uh, or even just get your mushrooms to get a good yield off on. Uh, so a couple of different things you can do for your fresh air exchange is if you're in a monotub, which most most people growing uh, saprophilic mushrooms are, are in a in a monotub, uh, you'll have your holes on the side of it, typically uh, two on each side. So right above your soil line, about three to six inches above where your, your substrate line will be is where you'll want these holes. And then you want to think of CO2 uh, like water. The way it fills up a room is it's going to fill from the bottom up. It's heavier than air. So you'll place your holes right above where your canopy would be for your mushrooms. So that way it'll flow out. Uh, and then the fresh air exchange will be going through a little piece of polyfill or a filter patch at 0.2 or 0.5 micron. Uh, I prefer the polyfill, which is uh, really just the stuff you find inside pillows. You can get it at craft stores and uh, Joanne Fabrics and all kinds of places like that. Uh, yeah, you just pop that inside of the hole so all the air going through is filtered. Uh, no contaminants are making it through there. Uh, nothing but CO2 and oxygen. And then uh, another little step you can do is open your uh, tote daily and fan it out. Uh, but that typically will lead to... an and you opening the door to more contaminants. Uh, so I tend to not fan as much and try to focus on having a proper fresh air exchange with the holes placed uh, properly on the tub. So that way it doesn't allow the tub to fill up to a really high level of CO2. And like a, a, an exhaust fan on your tent will help as well if you have an, you're inside of one of those tents, uh, fresh air exhausting out. Gotcha. And then mushrooms will start to grow. You can clearly see them. At what point do you harvest those mushrooms? Yeah. So depending on uh, what kind of mushroom it is, uh, if it's a, a gilled mushroom or uh, I'm going to try to stick with more layman's terms or, or like a, a polypore mushroom, which one has uh, gills and one doesn't. If you're growing the type of mushroom that has gills, uh, you're going to want to wait for that veil to break off. And the veil is right below the cap. Uh, and it's like this, almost like a skirt that connects completely around the edge of the cap to the bottom of the stem. And as that mushroom opens up, kind of like a umbrella would, it tends to pop that little veil that connects. Uh, and then that mushroom pops open. You can see those gills. Uh, typically, you'll want to get it right as or right before that veil is bursting. Uh, and that's perfect time to harvest. And if you're growing polypores or uh, oyster mushrooms or anything like that, you'll want to wait until the mushroom has opened up and the uh, bottom of it goes from curling down towards where your stem is from curling up. It'll kind of, it'll kind of look like the bottom. It's a hard way to explain Like if you've ever seen a blue whale, the way it holds its neck up, it has those big grates on, on its neck. Uh, you'll see that. And it's almost like the whale tilts its head up after looking down is really what it looks like to me. Uh, that's when your oyster mushrooms are ready to go. Uh, but typically before they drop spores. 
um, if they're dropping spores really heavily, uh, you've kind of went a little bit past that window of when it's perfect to harvest. Yeah, the one I had, the, the veils opened up and spores were released. And I know if you are looking to do multiple flushes, basically if your spore if the veil opens up and the spores get released it kind of prevents more fruiting from happening if i'm not mistaken and so like i was always told harvest right before the veil actually opens up to prevent the spores from actually kind of getting all over the rest of the substrate and preventing those that fruiting from happening yeah definitely uh, them, those spores uh, once they dump uh, if they're left there for long they can uh, start to contaminate uh, you'll also start to get new mycelium growing because it is a, a, a new mushroom, essentially. Uh, so those new mushrooms growing on top of that old mycelium, you might have a clash uh, where definitely it would, it would halt that, that fruiting uh, and kind of shift its gear over to, ah, I'm being ta- attacked by this, this outside external mushroom uh, and switch from its fruiting. And yeah, you get some really weird stuff happening. And so when you go to actually pick the mushrooms, what's your preferred technique? I mean, are you just going down there with your hand and kind of pinching it at the bottom and twisting and pulling off? Are you using, you know, trimmers to kind of get in there and prune at the very bottom of the the base of the mushroom? Or or how do you do it? Yeah, so if I'm growing in a monotub, I prefer to actually grab that little piece of plastic you were talking about and actually pull the whole block out of the tub and place it on a big old table. And I'll just take a pair of scissors and right above the mycelium line just cut like you would you're trimming the grass or something cut all those down as low as you can as close as you can uh, and then for those wood loving mushrooms uh, most of the gourmets uh, I actually do those by hand and you just kind of place your hand right up underneath where the mycelium and the fruiting body uh, reach each other and then you're just kind of kind of jostle it left to right and it'll just kind of pop right off the whole uh, mushroom and that's how I like to do those ones and then after you pick the mushrooms, a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll dry it. I know it depends on the variety and so on and so forth. But talk to us about like the drying process. How long does that take? Do you just lay it out on a paper towel, for example, or should you be doing something else with it? Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. Uh, I prefer the, the dehydrator method. It's very quick and efficient. Uh, you'll set your dehydrator on, on the lowest setting. Uh, some of them nowadays even have a mushroom setting or a uh, nuts and fruits and berries, whatever the lowest temperature is. Uh, and then that could take anywhere from a day to two days, depending on how big the mushroom is. Uh, or you can also air dry them uh, just like you would any other herbs or plants. Um, let's say if, you, if you've ever done like basil or oregano or thyme, uh, you get some of those large drying nets and you can just lay them out on the nets uh, for about seven days, sometimes 14 days, depending on the humidity and the uh, temperature in the room. Yeah, yeah, pretty straightforward stuff, uh, but you will definitely lose about 80, sometimes 90% of your mushroom weight to water. So when, you, when you're when you drying out and you got this big, hefty, crazy, full net, you come back in 10 to 14 days and it's, it's light and fluffy. <laughs> it's like styrofoam almost. Makes sense. Yeah, there's some uh, medicinal plants that are grown and when they do the drying process, they lose about the same amount of weight, right? Like 75, 80% of yeah. the weight is actually water weight to begin. So, you know, they'll dry it and then they'll, they'll weigh it after the fact and, and see all the, the damage that has been done as far as like <laughs> yeah. the amount of moisture that has been lost there. But uh, yeah, very similar there. I was going to say, uh, once they're dry, uh, as long as they're stored in a, you know, airtight container, uh, 
I would say indefinitely. They're they're pretty much good indefinitely as long as they're not rehydrated. Uh, you can really, really long-term store some mushrooms as long as they're properly dried and uh, stored in an airtight container. Okay, so we're like a traditional plastic baggie, you know, sandwich bag. You would avoid that altogether, huh? I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would avoid the plastic bags uh, unless you're. Uh, you might be able to do like a skunk bag or like a grove bag, but I wouldn't do like a sandwich bag. You'd want it to be specifically uh, or like a food service mylar bag. Uh, you could definitely do one of those or like a glass or steel uh, receptacle, like a sea vault or a big glass mason jar or something like that. All right, cool. So I have lots of beginners tuning into this podcast, and I'm sure there's some people that are either just starting growing mushrooms or they're about to start growing mushrooms. Taking a step back and looking at the entire process, what advice do you have for someone who's new to growing mushrooms? Um, it might sound cliche, but, you know, have fun with it. It, it is a, it is a hobby at the end of the day and hobbies should be fun. You know, you should, you should be having fun while you're learning this. Uh, and then I'll take it back to what I said earlier, where, uh, contaminants are mostly, in my opinion, from just a poor technique. Uh, so all that means is you might've just did something wrong and that means you can go back and fix it and do it right the next time. Uh, so don't be disheartened. Uh, from failure and uh, have lots of fun. And then my final one would be kind of what you did as I'd recommend to start with a kit. Uh, If you're really on the fence about it, uh, there's a lot of companies that sell kits, uh, my company included, uh, htgsupply.com. We have quite a few different little mushroom starter kits on there. They're mostly just substrate uh, that you'd add uh, mycelium to like you were saying you did. Um, But yeah, get a kit and, and have some fun. Sweet. I'll have to check out those kits. I, uh, I'm in need of another one because I ran out of substrate and the, uh, the grain. So I'll have to uh, shop through your website next time around. Yeah, contact. Uh, get a hold of me. We'll, we'll set you up with something. Awesome. All right. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Um, you guys can get, find me through uh, htgsupply.com uh, or you can just come down into uh, my local store if you're in the Illinois area. Uh, we're located at 4461 44th Street in Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, we have just about everything you could need from gardening to mushroom cultivation. And then uh, coming up soon, uh, we have lots and lots of free classes at our, at our store. Uh, you can check those out through our website as well. Uh, we do uh, monthly free classes as well as uh, free monthly giveaways here in the store. So uh, definitely come through and check us out. And uh, one thing we don't charge for is uh, knowledge and information. Sweet. Well, I'll definitely have a link to your website down in the YouTube description section below. If you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, just search for it. You'll find it in the search results. And uh, I'd love to know in the comments section, what questions do you have in regards to growing mushrooms? I think this is a good brief overview for beginners. I myself am a beginner when it comes to mushrooms, like I mentioned earlier. Probably missed a lot of things. So I'd love to know what did I miss And what questions do you have in regards to growing mushrooms? Let us know down in the comment section below. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. Also, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Every single weekend, I release a new Garden Talk podcast episode. And I would love for you to tune into future episodes. Corey, thanks so much for coming on and uh, talking about how to grow mushrooms. This is something brand new to the channel. Nobody's ever come on to the podcast and talked about growing mushrooms before. So you are the first. Thank you so much for spilling your knowledge today. 
Hey, I appreciate you, man. Uh, feel honored to be on the show and uh, look forward to watching more of your episodes. Thanks so much. Peace out, everyone. See you in the next episode.